Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. There are a lot of things that can set our lives going in new directions, whether it is a partner who moves for a job and we move with them or vice versa, or whether it's our plans for pregnancy and we think, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have my first kid, then I'll wait two years, I'll have my second kid. And that second child has other plans for you. Today, we get to talk to Raina Pomeroy. She is a focus coach for creative entrepreneurs and the founder of Raina & Co., Her work is all about what she calls finding and attracting your dreamy clients. And she has a signature program called the Dreamy Client Magnet, where she helps creative entrepreneurs get laser focused on who they want to serve and who they want to work with and what their boundaries are so that they can book more dreamy clients with ease, get paid, not doing things that you're good at, but what you love doing and creating space for freedom and flexibility. She is certified as an ICF coach. She's a speaker, an educator, an author, and a podcaster. She also supports students over at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, and her work has been featured across the iTunes podcast top charts on entrepreneur.com, Entrepreneur on Fire, Brit & Co., The Huffington Post, The Rising Tide Society, and more. If you want to know where you can focus your business, that's what today's chat is all about. So in today's episode, we talk about Raina's experience with unexpected and unexplained fertility struggles and how she wanted to become a parent of two kids, but it took three and a half years to get pregnant again after a relatively quick and easy first pregnancy. She shares her work and how she started not one business, but she started multiple businesses and how and when they came up in her life and how she transitioned from one business to another. She digs into her idea of dream clients and what that means and how she works with people to help them book more of these. It's cliche, she says, but those perfect dreamy clients. And you know the ones you can visualize in your mind like, okay, it would be great if I could just have clients that were like this. That's her strategy. And that's what she focuses on. And it is transformational when it comes to business. We also get a chance to talk about her social glue strategy, which is all about how to connect with more people one-on-one and how to use connecting authentically with other people as a strategic tool in your business, especially if you're an online or digital entrepreneur and you maybe don't run into a lot of people because your office happens to be your bedroom or your closet or a co-working space. We're going to get into all of this with Raina today. I can't wait. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Hey, hey, I made a thing and I want to tell you all about it. It's one of our new guides and it's up on our website. One of the biggest struggles in my business isn't coming up with new ideas or doing more. One of the biggest challenges is focusing, figuring out how to do less, and making sure I have clarity about doing just the right things. I wish I could say that I had it all figured out and I have a magic wand to make life easier, poof, presto, but not quite. But what I do have is a structure of questions, just three questions that I return to time and time again that helps me sort myself out whenever those piles of to-do lists are getting way too long. It's a three-step process, and I walk you through how to do it and what it looks like three questions, 
for clarity, simplicity, and a new superpower, which is saying no to the things that you don't actually need to do. If you want the free guide, head to startuppregnant.com slash stop. That's startuppregnant.com slash stop. S-T-O-P. And you can grab the guide for free. The link is also in the show notes. It's our freebie guide for figuring out what to drop, how to do less, and how to simplify your business whenever you feel the chaos descending upon you. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to have Raina Pomeroy join me on this conversation for this conversation. Raina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. So I want to start by asking you one of my favorite questions to ask, and it's just about today. What time did you wake up this morning, and what was the first thing you did? Yeah, I woke up around 6.30, and the first thing I did (laughs) was just get ready, like just get out of bed and ready. It took me a little while this morning, to be really honest. I'm 35 weeks pregnant, and so I didn't sleep very well, and so I was kind of like, you know, talking to Google, asking, you know, Google what the news was, and then just kind of getting ready for my morning. That's so great. So what's your Google setting? Do you say, okay, Google? Yeah. As soon as I say it, my, it's going to start firing. So I won't say it, but that's exactly what I say. And then I ask it for the news. Like what are the headlines for today? That's amazing. My toddler really wants to know how to use OK Google, and he shouts, oh, goo goo, at the thing, and he <laughs> hasn't cracked the code yet, and I am waiting. <laughs> yeah, my, my husband works for Google, and so we have a couple throughout the house, and my son really loves to say the thing, and then broadcast, which is basically like, you know, talk to somebody else in another room, and it just broadcasts that message. It's quite funny. <laughs> I love that setting. Okay, so this is a total tangent, but my name is Sarah, my husband's name is Alex, and there's Alexa and there's Siri, which are way too close for comfort. And so there have been a few occasions where it's so creepy because Alex will say my name and then one of our phones will be like, yes, what do you want? That's too funny. This technology stuff, man, I tell you, it's it's something else. <laughs> the AI isn't coming. It's here. So tell me, you know, you get ready for your day. What does your day look like? What happens after Google has recited all the news to you? Yeah, so I'll basically get ready in the morning. My five-year-old is like able to get himself dressed, which is awesome. So I basically meet him downstairs and we decide what we're going to have for breakfast. And then we talk about the day, what's going to happen. And then... We head out to school. Uh, typically, I drop him off, and my morning routine doesn't start until I drop him off, which is kind of like frustrating. And I know a lot of people have this like, "Oh, mom should also have a morning routine thing." But for me, my day doesn't really start until I start it, and he's out of my hair, and I can kind of focus on me. So I actually like that. I start by listening to a podcast or an Audible. Um, I'm obsessed with Audible, so I'm like driving and listening to Audible. And then I come home and then start getting ready for the, like, to transition into my work day. Give me a sense of, like, the, the really nitty-gritty particulars here. So what time do you leave? Do you drive with your son, your five-year-old? And what time does he get to? Where does he go? Yeah. So, so we leave the house. I have a timer that goes off on my phone and he hears it, which, which indicates to him like, oh, I need to 
get it, start getting my shoes on around 7.45. And then if we're in the car by eight, we're usually good to go. I drive him to school and we're usually listening to a CD book thing. And he's looking at the words. He's kind of in those phase of starting to learn sight words and stuff like that. So he's reading and listening at the same time, which is fun. And then it takes about 20 minutes to get to his uh, preschool. And he's transitioning to kindergarten. I just cannot believe it in the fall. But so we drive to school, we drop him off, say bye, and then I kind of head out. Um, And then I'm home usually by 8.45 and then starting my day. Do you schedule meetings at nine o'clock or? I do. Like this call was at nine o'clock. I'm usually like on the ball getting back, but today we were having some tech issues. So I I fell really behind. It's just one of those things that nine o'clock is usually like the earliest I'll take a call. Usually, I usually try to keep it safe at like 930. Yes. I had a whole crisis where I would never get home because the New York City subways were so problematic. And I finally just stopped taking 9 a.m. meetings. Oh, yeah. That's a good I, call. Sometimes I get home at 9.20 and then my whole day I felt like scattered and behind and frustrated and mad. And I was like, well, you can also start your meetings at 10. Like what, a, you know, but it's really hard as a parent because you're doing the the swap things if you have a partner. So what does your routine look like when you get into your day? Do you Do you have a cup of coffee? What do you like to do? I do. I have a cup of coffee. Sometimes if I'm really groggy, I'll like take it on my drive, but usually it's after I get back because I like the peace and quiet <laughs> of being able to drink my coffee, kind of getting ready to, to like transitioning into my work day. And then I do like a quick gratitude journal and it's really not like an elaborate thing. It's like three things. And then one big thing that I'm going to get done that day. And my one thing today, just to be really honest, is like to survive my massage. Like I, I really need this massage. Being pregnant is hard. <laughs> and so I'm just like, get through the day and get to the massage and then I'll be good. And that's kind of how I transition into my morning, transition into my work day. Mm, I love hearing all of this because it sets the stage so well. And there are so many contextual pieces that are so important for the business that we do. So can I ask you to tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey? Have you always been a business owner or take us back in time? How did you first get the itch and what did that look like? (laughs) It's actually a funny story. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of fall into entrepreneurship, but my journey actually started while I was in graduate school. So I'm a trained social worker. And while I was in graduate school doing, you know, the MSW trainings, I was in an internship where I was working in foster care with a lot of children who were experiencing trauma. And it was really heavy stuff. And I felt really helpless a lot of the time and I needed a creative outlet. And while I, you know, a lot of people probably would take like a, you know, a a painting class or something or a wine and sip class kind of thing, you know, and I was like, I need something more creative. And so I started my own wedding planning company and I absolutely loved it. I did not know what I was doing. I loved networking. I loved meeting the wedding vendors. And after about three and a half years, I was, I had a profitable business. I had clients coming in and it was just kind of an accident that it happened. And it was such a side hustle. But what I realized that I loved most about that career and my social work career were like just talking to people and like getting to know their hopes and dreams and thinking about like systems and efficiencies in their companies. And that's what kind of turned me into the coach that I am today. So my sort of mental health side, talking to people side, as well as the sort of creative niche that I'm in now are kind of part of the Venn diagram of why I do what I do. 
That's so interesting. I find it kind of hilarious that you were like, oh, and then I started a wedding planning business right. on the side. <laughs> yeah, and it was totally a side hustle. And it was never meant to be like a full-time gig. And I actually wanted it to be that way because I want I loved my social work career. But I quit both of them cold turkey because I became a mom. And it was too hard to juggle all the things, giving up my weekends and commuting two hours each way to and from work. So, so I was going to ask, how does that translate into what you're doing now? But so you quit everything when you became a mom, both the social work and the wedding business. What, what happened there? Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah. Around that same time, we um, bought our condo in Virginia and it took me about 40 minutes away from where we were living then, which was already about an hour and a half. And so it was really a long drive to and from work. And I loved my job when I was my last nine to five, just absolutely loved it. But I could not like drive so long in DC and like DC traffic is notoriously awful. And with my child in the car and I would, you know, leave probably around 4.30, which is on the early end of our days. And then, you know, get home like at 6.30 or 7 and then put him down for the day and then not really get to hang out with him or see him. And that was happening. And then over the weekends, I would have to go do weddings. And so I really just never got to see my family. It was not a sustainable life. It was not, you know, the kind of creative joy that I was looking for with the the business that I had started as a side hustle. And so around the same time, uh, probably about a month and a half after we moved, I realized that I could not do both anymore. And I probably could have kept the wedding planning, but honestly, I just realized that there were so many other things that I was passionate about. One of them I discovered was coaching. And coaching is sort of the best of both worlds for me because I get to sit with a client and really dive into something that's really important to them. And then going through coach training around the same time, it kind of just culminated into, I really want to do this coaching stuff in the, the wedding space, in the creative space. Um, and that's what I get to do now. Yeah. So tell us about your business, what you do now, what it looks like, who you work with, and yeah, take us in there. But, and, and can you tell us also how you like instigated that moment? Because I think that we're, the impulse to quit or to stop everything because you're so overwhelmed during motherhood, it can also be hard to start. So can you share with us that moment of what that looked like? Yeah. I mean, I think it was sort of also another part of an accident. Um, I don't know if anyone else experiences this, but my skill sets, my resume looked like a hodgepodge. <laughs> like I had done a lot of different things that seemed kind of non sequitur to somebody. Like I don't have like an accounting degree that, and then went into like an accounting practice where I was doing accounting, right? It, it was not a linear path. And I have a lot of these sort of what seems to be tangential sort of skill sets um, that a lot of tr sort of traditional jobs weren't looking for and weren't really like translating in the, I don't know, the LinkedIn's, I guess. So I was looking for a job that was closer to my new home hoping that I was I would be able to you know do the balance thing a little bit better and I found that my skill sets were you know not exactly lining up with what they were looking for even though I knew that I could do some of these jobs and I realized that I, I wanted to do something purposeful. I wasn't willing to you know compromise on having a life and by accident again I started this sort of secondary <laughs> entrepreneurial career. And so it was all happening at the same time that I needed to have some kind of childcare because having a one-year-old is really difficult when you're starting something. And so I, I, 
um, took up a consulting gig um, with a, a small consulting agency and I was doing research and that kind of thing to be able to, you know, make ends meet essentially. And then, you know, put my son in daycare. And at, while I was able to do, like after I was able to put him in daycare and like make our bills work and all of that stuff, then I was able to spend a little bit of time in my my business. And at the very beginning, it just looked like, you know, getting on discovery calls and coaching people and really just practicing and honing in on my coaching skills. And honestly, not making a lot of money because I was just trying to figure out the coaching side. And after probably about a year or so, I had a full practice. I was getting to the point where people were recognizing me in my you know, niche. So one-on-one -on -one practice has been a staple of my, my work and my practice. And now what I think that I do with my clients that's, that's different than typical quote-unquote coaches who are certified or trained is that I really love to be able to listen to my, my dreamy clients, as I like to call them, and help them figure out what makes them truly unique and help them to position themselves in a way in the marketplace that allows them to do the kind of work that they want to do. And I mean, this sounds kind of cliche, but really booking more of those dreamy clients that they love to work with. I have a lot of clients who have, you know, quote unquote, decent paying clients, but then they're not really happy with them because it's not quite the right fit. And so I really try to help them hone in on who it is that they really want to work with, that they're not willing to compromise on, and then ultimately being able to make more money and working with those dreamy clients so that they can finally have that sense of freedom and flexibility that they join the world of entrepreneurship for in the first place. I think one of the things that's really interesting that you you said right in there too was connecting with people one-on-one -on -one and then doing that outreach in the early days. I yeah. think something you're really good at and, and known for even is the ability to strike up these coffee conversations or meet with people in small pockets of time. Can you talk more about that strategy and how it, it works for you? Yeah. So I, I call that strategy now social glue, G-L-U-E. And it's it came from this idea. Um, one of my my friends in graduate school said, Hey, Raina, you are like social glue. You know, everybody in a lot of different, you know, social groups and different communities. And like how you're always connecting somebody to somebody else. I think it's just an innate habit or trait that I have, but I have found it to be an, like an incredibly powerful thing to be able to do in the online space because we're so, you know, we're so spread apart and we don't necessarily know um, everybody when we join the industry, but just by getting on these calls and at the very beginning, it was not strategic. I just wanted to like not feel so darn alone, you know, just getting on these calls and saying, Hey, I would love to get to know you, get to know you as a human, not even like to pitch you or to, you know, have you buy my services or anything like that, but just like, honestly, to get to know you as a person. And some of these first conversations were, you know, the foundations of the friendships that I have now in, in my business and have given me a lot of cool opportunities, whether it's like getting on podcasts or, you know, talking to people for, for client work or, you know, getting to speak on stage. All of these have come from these sort of quote unquote friendly, you know, relationship building type of activities. And I, I see a lot of people at the very beginning of their, you know, entrepreneurial, online entrepreneurial careers, trying to, you know, kind of 
I, I don't know what the word is, but kind of break the code in terms of what you're supposed to do to be found. And honestly, I have found that just like creating these personal relationships to be the most effective thing over Facebook ads or an email campaign strategy at the very beginning, at least. Totally. It's the go viral effect. Well, can you make this go viral? And then suddenly I'll go from like, no one knows about me to being booked solid. And what you're talking about is a more peaceful piecemeal, but like strategic and stepwise approach, which is let me make some connections. Let me reach out. Let me talk to people. Let me be a genuine human being. And um, that's the social glue. So I do want to talk maybe like next level. Have you ever seen people who try to maybe overdo it when it comes to social glue? Or what are some errors or problems? Like when does this go awry or can it go awry? What's your sense on this? Yeah, I feel like it has to come from a place of genuine like curiosity about another human rather than having an ulterior motive. I think the one the conversations that go awry are typically like somebody reaches out and they clearly haven't done any research about this other person and there's just no real synergy and and like not that you have to become best friends with everyone you talk with obviously, but the point is you should care about this human, have some kind of curiosity about this person and like want to support them in, in this relationship. And I also think that there's a lot of opportunity for collaboration. There's a lot of opportunity for, you know, connection in the future. And I think that we get so bogged down in how many of these calls that we do that we don't really go into depth with people. And I honestly think that depth with, you know, these relationships can be the, the crux of how, how we build our businesses. So if we can, you know, be intentional about the way we connect with the, the quote unquote right kinds of people and have honest intentions about like, I would love to be able to be your friend in this. And like being a friend as a grown up is weird, right? Like asking you to be friends with somebody is kind of a strange thing. Um, but I also, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's just me. No, go on. I like this. Keep going. I just think it's like one of those things that's like, do you want to be my friend? But I think it's just showing up for people and constantly being, you know, in somebody's like orbit, so to speak, and just saying, hey, how did that thing go? I know we talked about you, you having this deadline. How did that webinar go? And just being like supportive and curious about what's happening for them rather than being like, hey, I want to, you know, I want you to feature me on your thing. That doesn't feel as good. Right. It doesn't feel like a friend. It feels like, hey, do something for me. Right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Which is it's transactional. It's it's totally fine. Like there may be times in your relationship where you're like, yo, you know, friend of mine, I need you to do something for me. Can you totally. send me something? It's fine. But you have to establish the relationship mm-hmm. first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to have that social capital with them before you can ask for that kind of thing. Well, so you bring up something really interesting here, which is about, I want to start to tease apart and ask you about business friendships and mom friendships and other kinds of friendships. How do you, you mentioned making friends as an adult can be like weird or hard. How do you find friendships in each of these areas? And do you find they overlap? Are they separate? What does that look like for you? Oh man. Um, right now they're very much overlapped. I feel like last weekend I had a little baby shower um, and all the gals that who were on this list were local entrepreneur friends who happened to be, some of them happened to be moms and some of them just happened to be, you know, gals who are local and friends, but they're all entrepreneurs. And so it's really interesting. There's like this weird mix for me. I find it to be the easiest to find entrepreneurial friends here locally because for me, I work from home. I don't have a lot of like grown up human contact outside of um, like picking up my son and stuff like that. And so <laughs> I don't know, 
maybe it's just me and I need to get out more. But no, I'm on samepage.com. I'm laughing because it's true. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those things that I'm like, I need to like figure out how to network locally and do some social gluing here. But it's just been a really big challenge for me. And I, I just to be super transparent, I, I love to connect with people and I want to have more of these relationships. But um, we just moved to the Bay Area about a year ago and it's been, it's been a, a challenge. So I'm laughing because it's so true because sometimes I'll realize I get to the end of the day and I haven't even gotten dressed because I didn't do drop off that morning. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I probably, probably should see another human being. It'll inspire things like cleanliness and hygiene and dr- dressing oneself. You know, <laughs> important stuff. <laughs> I'm totally with you because like sometimes you just need to see people one-on-one in person, like the real, not just online. You mentioned you wrote something before we got on this call together. You talked about how like friendships can even change during your pregnancy and how they can change over time. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said something about how like as you slow down in pregnancy, you've noticed maybe that some of the friendships are shifting. Can you talk about yeah. that experience? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I do. Way? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. I was just like, oh yeah, I did write that. I think a, a little bit of pregnancy brain stuff happening here. You know, it's really interesting. Some of the people who, especially online, I've been part of mastermind groups or, you know, collections of friends and we're just not on the same trajectory. And so we're not on the same speed as somebody else. And I I hope that I can, you know, kind of explain this sort of frame of mind that I have. But if you are trying to slow your company down or, you know, slow the role of the achievement cycle down a little bit and somebody else is in a, a a speed cycle of like shifting up, right? It's hard to kind of be on the same level as them. And at level not not as in like, you know, somebody's better than somebody else, but just like you're just on a totally different playing field at this point. And it might feel frustrating to them to feel like, well, I can't be in your company because you're going to slow me down. And, you know, the, the average of five people mentality makes it hard for them to relate to you. And I found it really difficult in the past few months to feel like my biggest priority being I want to get my body and my brain and my business ready for taking maternity leave and to kind of become a little bit dormant, so to speak. And other people are in a phase of I am leveling up. I just got to a, you know, a level that I'm happy with. I'm really excited to scale. I'm excited to like take on the world. And there's nothing wrong with having either of those goals be your reality. But I think it's challenging to to have friendships where the goals are a little bit misaligned, I guess. I think you're explaining it really well. And I think it it relates to more than just friendships because it also relates to like hiring who we have as people that work in our business. Because the the woman that I work with so much, Carrie, Carrie and I have alternated pregnancies and she, I was pregnant first and then she was pregnant with her little kiddo second. And then I got pregnant with my second kid in sequence. Oh my and gosh. So we were always, <laughs> yeah, right? Like one of us was always pregnant. We weren't pregnant at the same time. And like one of us was in the first trimester, the second trimester or maternity leave, but then feeling better and wanting to go faster. And it's a real thing. Like how do you negotiate when one person is like, even just on a day to day, I got a ton of sleep. I have a ton of, ton of time. I've got energy. I've got extra space. Let me go. And the other person is like, hold my hair. I'm vomiting. I'm in the first trimester. Please don't send me any work things and still move forward together towards bigger goals. But knowing that your individual goals 
day to day, week to week, month to month are different. I think it's a really interesting and challenging question. I really like that you're bringing it up. Yeah, it's, I love that perspective. And I, it, that's crazy that you guys were alternating pregnancies. That's, that's such our a kids difficult... are going to be three, two, one. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. And also like such a difficult cadence in the moment, right? Totally. <laughs> wow. That's, that's wild. I, I don't know. It's one of those things that I, I have a hard time finding people to sort of like be in the same sort of moment with, if that makes sense, to be in the same season with. And I want to do a better job of that, to find those friendships where our like current realities are sort of aligned, if that makes sense. And like um, our priorities of having a company that still is functional, that is still working and for us to be able to prioritize our health and our families to also be important too. It's not like one is more important than the other, but like that in all totality, those things are all important to the people that I'm hanging out with. Yes. So how does that work? I mean, do we, do we just end up, and I'm being really like, I don't know the answer to this, Raina, uh, but do we just end up striating? Like, does it end up that there's a group of people that are all like, I want to have seven figure businesses and we work 80 hours a week. And then do we have other groups of people that are like, I want a more of a lifestyle business and I prioritize my family and spending time with them. And I'm not chasing the seven figure business because I want to spend my time differently. Do we just, what happens next? How does this, what does this work? What happens next, Sarah? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't have the answer. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, there are women who do, and like this doesn't necessarily have to be women, but I find that this conversation often happens with women, right? Is that there are women leaders in our industry who are moms, and I look up to them so much. They are doing their thing, they are making the money, and they have you know, they have laid the groundwork for themselves to have this kind of lifestyle business that also is super, you know, profitable and wealth driven. And I think that that's really remarkable. And at the same time, you know, a lot of the, it, I think it depends on when you started your entrepreneurial career, like whether or not you had kids when you started and when you saw success and like transitioning to that you know, more lifestyle entrepreneur sort of mentality after you have kids. It's, it's kind of an interesting mix. And so I think having these conversations, I'm curious to hear from you, like, what is your sense from talking to all of these women and hearing all of these stories? Oh, don't flip it back to me. I'm I just, just want really to curious. have the answers. No, it's totally it's such <laughs> a good question because I don't know. And, and I think, I think if I'm being honest, given the number of people I've interviewed, there is a bit of a like sine wave effect where you're combining two waves and sometimes the family wave and the career wave can happen and it's not, it's like really hard because you're about to hit a success point where you do just need a little more time and energy to be able to get into it. And the pregnancy curves can really throw that for a loop. But then other people ride it and it's like they've had three or four years of success before they get pregnant. And so they're actually able to ease up a little bit and it works really well. Um, or other people use pregnancy as a catalyst. It kind of blows shit up to use all the swear words. And, and that brings people into like, well, every, you know, I got fired when I was seven months pregnant or like I realized I hate my job or motherhood really blew shit up for me. And so I just have to reinvent from scratch and the success comes later. But I think that that collision and if I'm being totally honest, for me, I think I'm the one where everything's colliding right in the middle. <laughs> like I just wish I had more freaking time to put into my business and my projects. I don't have an easy answer for it. I think that it's it's something I'm examining with this whole podcast. 
Yeah, I love that. And I, I love that you have a platform to be able to explore this topic where there's not like one answer for everybody, right? And, you know, something that comes up for me as I'm thinking about this is that the first time I had an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial career with my wedding planning business, I kind of did whatever the heck I wanted because I didn't have a child. And like I was my own priority and I could kind of call it you know, call the shots for myself. And I would tell my husband, Hey, I'm working this weekend. I'm gone. And it'd be like, okay, that's fine. I'll go be busy too. But now with a child and, you know, a second one on the way, it's like, I need, I want to prioritize my family and my, our, my time here with them. So I think for me, as I was building Raina and Co, it was incredibly important for me to start with the filter of my priority is myself, my family, and building my business. Because if I don't have those three kind of intact, I'm going to be a miserable human being. And so whenever I'm, you know, creating boundaries for myself, that's the filter I'm looking at it through and making sure that I'm kind of in alignment and in integrity with the things that are important to me. So it's never perfect by any means, but it's one of those things that I am constantly thinking about and processing through like and saying, you know what? This this chunk of time is like really heavily dedicated to work time, and then we're gonna get a little break where I'm gonna get to focus on my kiddos, and then there's another season where I get to ha- take a lot more time off. And I was taking ice skating classes and ceramics classes during the workday, and so it's just one of those things that I think that it's never like a quote unquote balance, but it's sort of a juggle. And some seasons are more hev- heavily leaned on in one category, but. Mm-hmm. I think it's just one of those things that I'm constantly sort of negotiating with myself. I think that's so interesting. And I love, by the way, that you listeners, if you caught that, she said myself, my family and my business. It was three different things. It wasn't two. A lot of people talk about business and family, but they forget about themselves. And Raina, I am like just underscoring that here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's so incredibly important to like feel like we are ourselves as women, as people are creatively, you know, inspired that we have space and that we also don't lose ourselves in the mothering and in the business building. Mm. Uh, Amen to that because I am just like six months ahead of you with my second kiddo. And there are times when I want to throw the breast pump across the wall because I'm like, I don't want (laughs) to pump any more milk for a small child. I would like to have 24 hours where I am not responsible for any other humans. Thank you very much. Like, what about me? And, and then also what you say about the ebb and the flow is like, this will be a blink. This will be a season of pregnancies and really my body devoted to taking care of children. And then, and then it won't be in the same, at least like harshly demanding way. So I want to switch over and ask you about your parenting journey because you are doing this interview with five-year-old and what did you say? 35 weeks pregnant? 35 weeks pregnant. Yeah. 35 weeks pregnant. So, oh, I remember the end. And of course it's different for everyone. Tell us about your pregnancy journey and your parenting journey, because I know that your journey has involved a, a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. So when we first started trying for our first kiddo, it was relatively easy, happened very quickly, and I had a very simple pregnancy. I would say more difficult labor, but like really simple pregnancy. And I was hoping for that the second time around. And so we were just like, oh, let's just see how it goes. And then after a while, it was like, oh, we're just not conceiving and it's just nothing is happening. And, you know, do we go to the doctor or what's happening? And it never became in this like early stage, it was never a conversation of like, oh, we need to like really seek out 
serious medical treatment and, you know, get tested for all the infertility things. It was just sort of like, oh, what's going on with my body? Why, why isn't it kind of getting back into the shape that it needs to kind of thing? And after we moved to the Bay Area, it was definitely this sense. And my son had turned five at this point. I was like, we need to like figure out what is happening. So, you know, I was at a point probably when he was four, three and a half, four, that I was like, do I need to start freaking out soon? Like we've been trying for a while now and maybe there's something like alarming or maybe something has changed. So, you know, getting tested for all of the things that, you know, has to do with infertility and such. Like it's an emotional journey, like just not knowing. And the doctor saying, we don't know what's wrong with you, essentially. You look healthy, your husband looks healthy, everything looks fine, but we don't know why nothing is happening for you. And so we were on this path to starting IVF and kind of being more medically, you know, assisted. And that decision in and of itself was really difficult. And <laughs> the decision to do IVF? Yeah, the decision to do IVF. I Why felt was like that my, difficult. Yeah, I felt like my body had betrayed me. And you know, the first time around it went so smooth that I was like, why why can't I get this done again? You know, like I why can't my body, you know, naturally conceive? And I felt like it wasn't like beating myself up, but I had a, a like negative reaction to having to to have IVF. Not that I think that IVF is a bad thing, but I was just kind of disappointed in myself, I think. And as soon as we decided, and as soon as we signed all the paperwork, two days later, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> so all of that to say, we weren't sure what was happening. We didn't know why, why anything wasn't going the way we wanted it to go. And then we were on the other you know, emotional journey of, oh my gosh, we are pregnant. So that was quite the, the, <laughs> the seesaw of emotions. And that pregnancy is the one, the same yeah. pregnancy that yeah. we're, oh, that's great. Yeah, it was just craziness, and like I've I haven't lost a pregnancy, thank goodness, um, knock on wood. But that was you know just having to go through all of the testing and being a pincushion and not knowing what was happening was just a real big challenge for me. I don't know why. Oh, it's I can tell you on the other side, I can understand why the mental hurdle and the like the chaos of not knowing and the range of emotions. There's a really great book by Alexandra Sachs. She's a doctor, a reproductive psychiatrist, and it's what they I think it's called What You Don't Know or What They Don't Tell You. She talks about like all of the possible emotions you can feel during pregnancy and motherhood. And it's you just read the book and you're like, Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I felt all 20 of those things simultaneously and then like in sequence. You know, I woke up feeling hopeful and excited and then devastated and then annoyed and then mad and then this and like and then like you were saying, betrayed or confused and not really knowing if you even will know what was happening. How long did you end up trying if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I think we were trying for like three and a half years. How did that affect how you showed up to work and your friendships? I don't think we told I don't think I told any of my friends that we were really trying. Um, for work, I think it was just one of those things that um, it started affecting me more recently, right before I was pregnant. But I talked about it a little bit, like forward facing to my my clients and to, I don't know, my, my online presence, I guess, just talking about it. Because I know a lot of my clients go through infertility in a different way. And just sharing about it was cathartic. Sharing about it was important. 
even though we didn't really have like a diagnosis or anything like that, just the fact that we were trying, just the fact that we were <laughs> yeah, kind of grappling with all of this stuff. And I think the, the thing that was most challenging for me towards the end of our wait, so to, so to speak, is like my son, I'm like, coming back to the AI thing, he would say, hey, mama, would you ask Alexa to order a baby sister for me? <laughs> And I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I mean, one, that's super cute and funny. And also like devastatingly sad because no, I can't do that for you. And clearly that's something that you want. So yeah, that was, that was really hard. And like having to sort of kind of distract him from that desire that he had to be a big brother. And I think he saw a lot of his preschool friends becoming big brothers and big sisters, and he wanted to experience that too. So yeah, that was a, <laughs> a funny story that I, I will tell him when he's grown up, <laughs> but just heartbreaking in the moment. Oh, yes. Like it's sometimes these kids, they can just, it's like a sucker punch right to the gut. And you're like, I'm mom, I got onions in her eyes. No, yep. she's sobbing. Yep. Um, <laughs> do you talk to him about it? Yeah. I mean, now the conversation is different because he knows he has a little one coming. But back then it was like, I don't know if we can do that. Let's try. And like, we would try and um, ask Alexa, but it wouldn't obviously work. And we would talk about how sometimes babies don't come when we ask them to and that kind of thing. And like, just sort of managing expectations. I'm like, I am not equipped to have this conversation right now. And so often, you know, I'll go and research something about how to talk to your kid about infertility or whatever. And we, we just didn't know how to talk about it because there wasn't really a diagnosis or an answer. So I didn't really know what I was supposed to tell him either. So yeah, it, it was just like this weird, probably about four or five month period where he was constantly asking for a sibling and constantly asking, you know, when he was going to get one too and all of this stuff. So yeah, lots of, lots of challenges and lots of emotions, uh, managing my own emotions and, and also like managing his emotions too. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. And it's just like, like there is no Amazon prime for babies. No. Like, how, do you, how do you plan on a kid? Like, I sorry, know. bug, Google won't get it for us. I know. Oh, so now you're on the precipice. You're 35 weeks. Yeah. What's on your mind? Like what, what comes up for you as you think about even this next year of your life coming ahead? Oh my gosh. I feel like I need a refresh. It's been so long since I've done this. <laughs> like, is this going to come back to me? But, you know, thinking about a couple things. One is that my work is completely different than the last time. The last time I took a maternity leave, it was with a nine to five. I had benefits. I only had two months off uh, that were paid. This time I'm taking four months off paid, which I'm incredibly proud of that our company was able to, you know, give me a four month maternity leave. And also just like emotionally speaking, I want to have that distance from the work and not having to be in it all the time, but also knowing that since I do want to know what is happening to have a system where my team can update me without bombarding me. So we're kind of like getting to that point. And then, you know, in like the personal home getting ready side, I think that just navigating this summer of making sure that my, my five-year-old is happy and healthy and well-adjusted as he moves into his new season, which is kindergarten. And that's a big emotional jump for him. To, so I just want to be cognizant of that. We're super lucky because my husband is with Google now. And last time for paternity leave, he had two weeks. And this time he has 12 weeks. So I feel incredibly supported and I hope that we can take advantage of all of that and that my, my older son can 
you know, have a good summer with his dad and hang out with him and, you know, take the little one so that I can hang out with my five-year-old too. So just a lot of, you know, shuffling around, but honestly, I, I'm excited for this. <laughs> I know that there, I have a, I don't know, maybe you can correct me, but with your experience, but I feel like, you know, I had like a six or eight week period where I was kind of a zombie and didn't want to do much of anything. And then I kind of came out of that fog and felt a little bit more human in the third month. So I'm hoping for that like veil to lift a little bit and to be able to spend a little bit of that summer hanging out with my little guys. Mm. Oh, summer will be so fun. So can you tell us, I'll answer that question actually. I think I think that's what happened for me. The third month lifted a little bit, but then at 10 weeks, I got kind of sucker punched. Oh. <laughs> but only, but it was like a short, it was like two weeks down and then back up and then one week down and then back up. It just, there's a little more fatigue because there's already another child. Yeah, yeah. So it was slightly slower than the last time. That was for me, in my experience, for people listening, everyone has different experiences. So I would love to know what you are planning for your business and how did you get to a place where you could take four months of maternity leave? Do you have systems set up? What are the ins and outs of your business so that your team can take over for you? Yeah. So we have quite a few systems in place. So on the revenue generating side, we're going to be taking quite a bit of a hit this year. And I'm okay with that. But it was kind of like, I do a lot of the coaching work and that's still a big chunk of our revenue. And also we have some evergreen content that is selling some of our products. So that will definitely help. And continuing that will will be like the the bulk of the work that my team is doing while I'm gone um, and continuing to maintain that. And so I think it's going to be taking them from 100% where they're working right now to probably about 30 or 40% of their work capacity. And we've talked about it, we've prepared for it and discussed it at length with my individual team members. Um, None of them are employees, they're all contractors and they're working, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 hours a week kind of thing. So yeah, it, they, they have given me a ton of flexibility, which is fantastic. How big is your team right now? Yeah, so I have five team members right now. Actually, we're just onboarding our last one right now. She is our community happiness coordinator, basically like our community manager, who is going to be maintaining all of our social media platforms and you know, really making sure that our clients inside of the, the communities that we lead are engaged and happy and they have what they need, even if I'm not always present. Raina, this is really fun to listen to you share your business journey and your parenting journey and be real about both of them. I want to tell people where to find you online. Like where should they go to find your social glue and your website? And where do you hang out on the social webs? <laughs> yeah. So if you want to go find a uh, social glue, we actually have a pretty fun guide for how you can do social gluing in your business. So head over to reinaandco.com forward slash social glue. Let's see. I have a program called Dreamy Client Magnet, which is the program that my community happiness coordinator is pretty much in charge of and like loving on those people now. And that's over at dreamyclientmagnet.com. And also for socials. And the only place that I am taking responsibility for while I'm on maternity leave is my Instagram. So (laughs) I'll be over at Instagram at Raina and company. Oh, it's so fun to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Everyone, if you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, I want to take just a minute to tell you about a couple of episodes that you might also enjoy. 
go back through our archives and take a look for episode number 104. We talked to Vanessa Van Edwards, who is the best-selling author of the book Captivate, all about her experience transitioning to motherhood and those first few weeks of parenting and what nobody tells you. That's episode number 104. You can find our episodes by going into your browser and typing startuppregnant.com slash 104 for the episode number and it'll take you right there. I also think you might enjoy episode 94 with Kimberly Ann Johnson, who is the author of The Fourth Trimester, who also talks about this journey into post the postpartum period and new motherhood. And if you want to hear my story a little bit more, I recorded a series of episodes with Carrie Fortin on my journey into having a second baby. And I recorded the experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, the uncertain, the confusing, the overwhelming, all of them in a series of episodes in the 80s. So check out episode number 81, where we talk about what it's like to talk about the really hard things. And episode number 86 where we talk about how I prepared for maternity leave and how she prepared for maternity leave because that is a particularly challenging puzzle for new entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs in a country that doesn't have much in the way of maternity leave policy or protection. So the episodes that I recommend you go check out are 81, 86, 94 and 104. If you are a longtime listener and you've been listening to them straight through, then I will see you on the next episode. But if you are new here, you can find the links in your podcast show notes. You can type them into your browser, just startuppregnant.com slash the episode number. And they're always three digits. So it's 001 or 002 or 104. I knew that we would get to at least 100 episodes. I do not know if we will get to 1000 episodes. That seems daunting right now, but we will see. Or you can just scroll through and search on your podcast player for these episodes. The episode numbers are in the show notes and you can find them if you scroll through. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.